This podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Please visit podbelly.com to see a complete listing of all of our other shows. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. Hey guys, welcome to episode 207 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. Man, what a long, long week we had. We did? We did. We were traveling since the last time we were on air. Oh yeah, I guess we were. <laughs> that just seems like forever ago already. <laughs> So, anyway, uh, before we get started, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff. It may be a, a few extra minutes before we get into the show, but we got so much to talk about because we weren't here last week, and we got some other cool uh, events that we want to mention. So, if it takes us a few minutes to get into the show, please, no negative reviews. It's a fluke. Yeah. Anyways, first of all, we want to thank all of our military, civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thank you guys and gals for everything that you do. And thanks for everyone on the front line during all the COVID respikes and all that kind of stuff. So you guys are important and uh, we're thinking about you every day. And yes, we do. We keep praying for you guys and looking forward to better things to come. And uh, y'all just stay safe out there. We love you. Hopefully it's out there. And then, like I said, we're excited now because we still have the Pigeon Forge show. Yes, we're very excited. That is going to be coming up less than two weeks on the 18th. There's still a handful of tickets left, not many. Not many, though. Yeah, there's like eight or or so left. Mm -hmm. So go ahead and snag those up. We're going to have fun. Social distancing will be there. Everybody bring your mask and we'll have plenty of hand sanitizer and stuff. We're going to have some fun. Yes, we are. We cannot wait to see you guys. We're so excited. Might even try to go through a little ghost town in Gatlinburg that we just found out about. So we'll we'll, we'll talk all about that later. Yes. Anyway, so we got that going. Um, Obviously, we want to mention the... The mental health aspect of what's going on. We were, you know, had have had a couple of people reach out to us this week that are really struggling right now. And, you know, all we can say is, look, I've got a saying that I've used forever that's helped me with my depression. And that is things are never as good as they seem, but they're also never as bad as they seem. Mm-hmm. It's just another way of saying everything is just temporary. And I know this is very... It's a very tough time right now to wrap your heads around everything that's going on in the world between illnesses and civil unrest. And it's just like there's so much going on and people are being, you know, kind of stay in their home because of maybe they're compromised and mm-hmm. uh, from their illnesses and they're afraid to go out. It's just it's a lot going on. and It's a lot that most of us have never dealt with in our lifetime. But. I'm confident that it will get better. And I mean, I'm struggling, too. I told Tracy yesterday. You know, it's tough because the one thing that I look forward to is sports, like a lot of people. And, you know, it looked like everything was kind of getting back to normal and they were talking about sports. And I'm like, oh, man, this is it looks like we're climbing out of all this. And then next thing you know, you're seeing uh, athletes that have coronavirus. And now there's governors coming out saying that they don't think they'll have football in their state. And I know, look, that's a small part of what's going on. But it was one little thing that 
look like a step towards normalcy. Mm-hmm. And now it looks like we're stepping back. There's now governors that are going back to phase one and reopenings. And mm-hmm. like I said, it's just it's just really kind of discouraging when you think maybe you might be climbing out and you go back. So, yeah, we're, we're with you. We, we feel the same thing you guys do. And we know it's tough. But we just want you to know that you've got people out there that care. You've got people who will listen to you. You're not a burden if you tell somebody what your problems are. That I can promise you. And we've got a whole group of 4,800 people that are right there for you if you just allow them to be. So if you're not a member of our group, go join our group. And you can post whatever you want in there. It's private. And if you've got concerns, if you've got something going on in your private life and you just want somebody to talk to that, you you know, that maybe isn't a close friend or family member that you just don't feel like confiding in, Confide in the group. You'll you'll realize how many people you have on your side that can step in and help you. So do that. And if you'd rather um, call the suicide hotline here in America, Tracy, what's the number? 1-800-273-8255. Or you can text at 741-741. So we'll talk a little bit later in the show about our trip because we got to some very cool haunted places in savannah and st augustine and uh we'll talk about that a little bit later right here at the beginning of the show though and and we won't do this all the time but i thought it was important to do this because we have a new show sponsor mm-hmm. and this podcast is actually now brought to you by el yucateco hot sauce nice and i'm kind of excited i want to tell you how this came about though so Tracy, you know I'm a big hot sauce fan. Yes. We, we in general, we're hot sauce fans. Oh, we yeah. eat it on everything. We everything from potato chips to chicken to Oh, my gosh. A, like beans. a granddaughter of Coda. She loves Yeah, Coda loves it. But I'm typically one of these that have always used the same type of hot sauce. I don't venture out of my comfort zone <laughs> when it comes to anything. And it's always it's always been a cayenne pepper hot sauce. So I've never really had any other kind of hot sauce other than that. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to Brent with Sofa Kings, and they they have always I've listened to them talk about uh, El Yucateco hot sauce for probably two or three years. And we were just talking about something, and I and I was just curious, and I'm like, hey, you talk about how good this stuff is. Is that like a, a show gimmick or something? Is it because they're a sponsor, or is it really that good? I bet he gave me a ten minute passionate speech. Yeah. Yep. Of how great it was and how much he likes it. And and he was like, man, let me send you some of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, he sent me some. And I'm telling you, and it's a it's a habanero-based hot sauce. Mm-hmm. Absolutely loved it. Yeah. Absolutely loved it. And so I reached out to El Yucateco, and they agreed to be a sponsor of the show, and they sent us this huge gift pack. I mean, they've got seven different sauces. Mm-hmm. So they've got... Uh, Five of them are habanero-based. One of them is chipotle and one of them is jalapeno. And they go from not very hot to extremely hot. Yeah. <laughs> but so they sent us a gift pack with all seven of them. And they got it, sent us a bunch of stickers and they sent us a pair of socks. Oh, I know. That's the, so <laughs> and a bunch of sunglasses. And So we're going to give all that stuff away to you guys over some time. And we'll bring some of it to Pitch and Forge with us. Yeah. A bunch of stickers and stuff like that. Uh, can koozies, you name it. They sent it to us. So we're going to give some of that stuff away on air, but I wanted to to reach out and say thank you to El Yucateco for sponsoring yes, our podcast. Yes, thank you so much. And thank you for making a great product, which you can get at most major grocers, or you can go online to shopelyucateco.com, and you can follow them on social media. They got Instagram, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Reddit, you name it. And uh, Facebook, for example, is just El Yucateco. There you go. That's 
E-L-Y-U-C-A-T-E-C-O. You guys are going to love this stuff. I know Target and Walmart have it. If, you, if oh, you're looking cool. around in the stores. You know what? That is so weird because I was just in Target yesterday and we were looking at stuff like that and I never even put it together. Well, here's the thing. They are, they're, El Yucateco is in the top 10 of all hot sauce in the U.S., but they're the number one habanero-based hot sauce. Nice. And what makes it, I think what makes it so good is compared to some of these other ones, they use the entire pepper oh, wow. to make the sauce, but they don't use any of the capsaicin uh, extract in it, which you're probably saying, well, what the hell is capsaicin extract? You know how when you cut like a pepper open and you'll have the little white ridge where the seeds are? Yeah. That little white ridge holds capsaicin, which is the part that like irritates your skin and your mouth and your nose and all that well, stuff. Dang, that's I didn't the, know that's that. the part of the pepper that irritates it. So like with, with El Yucateco, they really focus on the taste part of it mm-hmm. and not the how hot it is. Yeah. Even though they've got some really hot sauce, it's not going to just irritate you and burn you right. the way some of these peppers would because mm-hmm. they don't use that part of it. Well. So you get the taste with all the... Uh, just without learned all something the, new today. You know, pain, we'll say. Pain. <laughs> so, anyway, really good. I'm excited about it. And uh, we'll, as as the shows go on over the next couple of weeks, we'll tell you about each one and and uh, a little bit about the flavors and how hot they are and all that. And maybe we'll even do like a little wing challenge or something like that. That would like, be fun. Some of the TV shows out there. So. Yeah, cool. All right. Are we ready to get going? It took a little bit. I know it did. And but. so we're sorry, but not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I just was trying to decide what I wanted to do. I knew we were going to do some kind of haunted objects or haunted dolls or a mixture of both for this show. And I decided to put it up on our Patreon page to say, should we do haunted dolls or haunted objects? I was very surprised that yep. everybody who weighed in said haunted objects. Yep, I sure did. And it's funny because if I would have just chose, I probably would have done dolls. haunted dolls. I probably would have done the opposite. That's why it's good to let people weigh in on stuff. So we did haunted objects. And I was going to put a haunted doll in here and decided not to. I just didn't. So you I think we it. will end up doing a haunted dolls episode. They said objects, they mean objects. Well, and these are objects. Well, nope. but I did say that we might throw a doll. A doll is an object. Well, I know. Anyways, I think you guys are going to like this. So I've been wanting to do this show on haunted objects for a long time, ever since we did the cursed objects that had the Valentino ring and uh, James Dean's car in it. And like I said, I I wouldn't sure how exactly to go, but I started digging around, and I think I have a good assortment of haunted objects, and we're going to start with my favorite of the bunch. Sometimes I save that one for the last, but we're going to start with my favorite. Okay. Two of the items that we're going to co- talk about tonight are pieces of furniture. Mm-hmm. One of them is a chair. It's our more popular story. And that's not really suspicious when you think about a haunted object. It wouldn't surprise you that a haunted chair is in there. No. There's been some ghost butts that sit in there, I'm sure. Right. I mean, when you think haunted furniture, a chair is just going to come up. Or like an antique desk. Oh, yeah. That Those have come up before. We talked about those are tables or an armoire. I've done, I know we've talked about a haunted armoire on one of the um, Patreon shows that we did. Maybe, like an antique bed might come up. But what if I told you the first item is a basic wooden bunk bed? Well, I probably could believe it because I'm sure little kids have fallen out and broken their necks or something from the top bunk. I don't know. (laughs) 
probably not where I would have went with that as far as <laughs> thinking why a bunk bed would have been haunted. I would have, I would have maybe went with maybe the wood that it was built from, maybe came Ow. from a haunted structure or, but yeah, we'll go, we'll go that route. I'm sorry. I was just thinking that maybe a child fell out or something and he hurt himself like severely and that's it. Now I remember... You know what? I'm not deep. I know. <laughs> this this episode was on the original Unsolved Mysteries back in back in the 80s. And I remember watching it, but I completely forgot about it. And then when I was doing research for this, I stumbled across that little 10-minute oh. clip. Oh, how fun. And so I would advise anybody, if you're listening to this, go find it. And, and you know, it's under the Tallman bunk bed. But it's a really cool little clip. Anyway, so... I'm I'm watching that and I'm thinking, man, this is pretty awesome. And what I I did more research on it, uh, a couple of different sources to try to find out about the family, what they were going through, mm-hmm. or what they were like before this, to see if anything came across as attention seeking or something like that. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't see anything that came across to me that the family was trying to get uh, any kind of publicity or anything like that out of it. They really did not seem like it. As a matter of fact. When I was reading up on top of, um, they mention it on the Unsolved Mystery, but I read up a little more about it, and it said that they would only agree to do this show on three conditions. One of which was that they would only talk off camera. Like, they would do the thing where they were in, like, the shadows. Mm -hmm. Two, they could not mention... The kids' real names. All right. I wouldn't want that either. And the third was they had to have actors portray them in the show. Because a lot of times on Unsolved Mysteries, they would have the real people yeah. in the show. So they they had actors from the area portray themselves up in Wisconsin. Hmm. So that was their three conditions. So that, that really, really doesn't seem like somebody who's really trying to seek. No. And we'll talk a little more about that a little bit later about some of the stuff. So, all right, let's get into the story. So in April 13th of 1986... Alan and Debbie Tallman, they moved into this house. This was in Horicon, Wisconsin, on Larrabee Street. And it's really cool. Why does that sound familiar? I don't know. Larrabee Street. I don't know. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Sorry. It's funny, though, because like when Unsolved Mysteries came in and filmed this, mm-hmm. it was actually like they had already moved out and a new family was living there. Oh. And the family allowed Unsolved Mysteries to actually come in and film their, their show Inside the actual house where this took place. Oh, that was Even though nice. it was a couple of years after they had moved out. So it was pretty cool. All right. So anyways, we're going to fast forward to February 1987. So they moved in in April of 86. February 87. They go to a secondhand uh, thrift store. Mm-hmm. And they buy this used wooden set of bunk beds for $100. Good deal. I don't really think so. Oh, no. And I say that because... You know, I've been in the furniture business for a long time. Mm-hmm. And this was 86. So you said, I can buy I can buy a wooden set of bunk beds today for $200. Was it is, real wood? Yeah. But then this was 1986. I mean, 25 years later. I, I, just, I just don't remember them costing, new ones costing that much back in 86. Right. But I could be wrong. Anyways, so we're not here to debate their thriftiness. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> not the, anyway, the regardless of it. They get these bunk beds. They bring them home. And for whatever reason, they assemble them in the basement. The kids' rooms were upstairs, so they didn't live in the basement. But they came home, they reassembled them in the basement. Not really sure. 
Okay, well, that's dumb because then they have to carry the assembled bunk beds all the way up the steps. Yeah, but they come apart, top and a bottom. It's really probably not that bad. But, yeah, I don't really understand the whole point of that. And I didn't see anything that told me why they did that. They finally moved the beds upstairs after reconfiguring the bedrooms. And this was in May of 1987. Okay, so... um, It's been a couple months downstairs, but as far as I can tell, there weren't any issues. Mm -hmm. But the minute they moved it upstairs, the house seemed to be a paranormal hotbed, pun intended. I have to interject here. Okay. First of all, if they just put the stupid bunk bed together upstairs, none of this nonsense might be happening because the unassembled bunk bed downstairs the spirits absorbed all into the wood. And then they had to go upstairs where it was lighter. Okay, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. So we'll continue on. And I won't acknowledge that you even said that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just saying, that's what they get for assembling a bunk bed downstairs. Because that was still dumb. No matter what you say. <laughs> okay. All right, fair enough. Anyway, so they get the bunk bed upstairs, and the two girls, the two young girls, were sleeping in the bunk bed in their room. Danny, the oldest child, had his own room, and his room used to be the parents' room. Mm-hmm. But like I said, they reconfigured all this, which is what, why they moved the bunk beds up. Danny, in his room, he's got this clock radio, old-style clock radio. Remember, this is the mid-'80s, and there's no telling how old the radio was. So he's got this clock radio. And he is awakened in the middle of the night with the radio just starts blaring. Mm-hmm. Now, not only is it blaring, but he says he looks at the clock and he can see the little the round knob moving. Ooh, no way. So it's going back and forth between stations. And he says he can see the knob moving even though there's nothing there. Now, Danny was, it don't have an exact age on him. They didn't say. That was part of the kind of stuff they were covering up, I uh-huh. guess. But he looked like, according to the recreation, about eight years old. So I'm going to assume that's probably pretty close. Okay. He goes and tells his parents, and his parents are like, look, if we're going to have these kind of problems, we'll just take the clock radio out. So they didn't really believe anything was going on with him. They just think that he's, you know, a young kid playing with the clock radio or something. Another thing that happened as soon as they brought the bunk beds up is all three children started to get sick on a regular basis. Now, these were three kids that, up to this point, hardly ever got sick, not even a cold. And now, all three of them were getting sick to the point where sometimes the mother would have to take all three of them into the doctor at the same time. Maybe it was poisoning from the paint. You know, and I, I thought something like that, too, initially. I thought, well, maybe there was some kind of chemical in the wood or maybe, you know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm not a wood expert by any mean. But I thought maybe there could be some kind of chemical to preserve the, the wood or maybe mm-hmm. something. It wasn't, it wasn't a secondhand store, so whoever had it before might have painted it or put, you know, something on there that could be causing this. That, but that was my initial thought. So a few weeks after Danny had his little radio encounter, Alan, the father... He had his first experience. What happened to him? He's down in the basement, and he's painting the walls of the basement. And, you know, when you're, if you've ever done any painting, you usually got your paint can, and then you'll have, like, the little metal tray that you put a little bit of paint in, and, you know, so you can mm. carry it around with you. Mm-hmm. Well, he had his, uh, was done her painting, and he had his little tray set up, and the paint was uh, a couple feet away from it. It wasn't even close. And 
He said that his wife hollered for him and said, hey, dinner's done. So he decided, well, I'll take a quick break. I'll go up, eat something. I'll come back and finish. Mm -hmm. So he put his paintbrush onto the pan. And he went upstairs. He ate. He comes back down. And the first thing he notices as soon as he hits the bottom of the steps is his paintbrush is now inside the paint can, facing up. The handle is in the paint, and the bristles are sticking up out of the paint. So you would initially think, okay, well, maybe he laid it on the paint can, and, and it, it somehow in. slipped in. But he says he specifically put it on the pan, mm-hmm. and the pan was a couple of feet away from the 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 pan itself. So there's no way that the, it could have ended up in there. Hmm, that's very bizarre. But he said even at this point... He was not going to say his house was haunted. It was weird. He didn't couldn't explain it, but he did not think there was any way, shape, or form that the house was haunted. I wonder what he had for lunch. I think it was dinner, and I'm not sure. Oh. Maybe we can get a hold of Debbie to see what the, was on the menu for the evening. You know what would have really been cool? I think maybe he had some mushrooms or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what well, would really have been cool if the spirit finished painting the wall? <laughs> that would have been appreciated. That would have been. The next scary incident involved their two-year-old daughter. So she sleeps at the bottom of the bunk bed, and she starts to see an old woman that she said came from behind the door. She said that the old woman was a witch. Now, a two-year-old to say an old woman's a witch, I'm not really sure why she thought that. I'm going to assume that she's probably judging by what she's seen on TV or storybooks yeah. of what the stereotypical, quote-unquote, witch would be in you know, cartoons and stuff like that. So I don't know, but she says that. But she also says that the woman looks like that she's on fire and that sometimes the room is on fire. Oh, good grief. This is a two-year-old. Oh. They didn't tell Danny anything about this, the son, you know, because why would they? You know, they're, you're not going to just scare all the kids. Mm-hmm. But Danny, about a month later, says that he saw an old woman glowing like fire. So now you got two kids saying almost the exact same thing. Now, could it be the two-year-old maybe said something to Danny about it? And that's how, he, who knows? But we're going to stick with the fact that, you know... Something might be going on. So now the family's thinking, okay, maybe the house is haunted. They decide to bring in their pastor, Pastor Wayne DeBrotz. He was from St. Stephen Lutheran Church. He was their pastor. He had known them for about a year and a half at this point. He comes over, visits a little bit, and he said he felt that there was an evil presence in the house. He does like a little blessing and stuff like that. Tried to help him best he could for, for what he was yeah. You know, I guess. Trained to do. Or trained something. to do, yeah. So the family was plagued by constant paranormal activity after this, such as cabinets opening and closing all hours of the night, disembodied voices, strange visions, uh, such as appearances that the room or objects were on fire. This started to be a common theme. Two weeks before Christmas, Danny has another vision that horrifies him, scares him to death, and I don't know what that vision was. Uh, even on the... Uh, episode that I watched from Unsolved Mystery, they just said he had a vision. So I'm not really sure. But anyway, it freaks out the dad. The dad's sick of it by this point. It's been going on for months. Mm-hmm. The dad pulls his act. He starts screaming. <laughs> he starts, you know, uh, 
you know, like the priest out of the exorcist, take me. And, you know, so he's yelling and screaming at the ghost. He's sick of it. I'm tired of you. If you're going to fight somebody, come fight me. Mm-hmm. We, we both know that's not going to turn out well. All right. So what happens is he comes home from work late one night, about two o'clock in the morning. He gets out of his car. He's walking up to the front porch. As he's walking, he hears this howling. And I say howling not like a wolf, but uh, like the wind howling. Mm -hmm. But there's no wind. It keeps getting progressively louder. Mm -hmm. But there's no wind outside. It's really still. There's no leaves on a tree shaking, nothing like that. Then he starts hearing something kind of say to him above the clearing, come here. So, that would he, been uh, no. Well, he walks over around the garage, around the back of the garage, and he doesn't see anything. He's walking back now to the house, and he hears again, "Come here." So he looks at the garage door, and now it looks like the garage door is on fire. He runs into the house. He sets his lunchbox down. I heard two different versions of this story, but on the version where he was talking himself, he said that he ran in, put his lunchbox down, and he was terrified. And he sat there for several seconds, and then it dawned on him, hey, my garage is on fire. Mm -hmm. I need to go outside and do something. Now, the other version I heard, which still may be true, but he I just didn't hear him say it, said that he saw the garage was on fire. He went in and set his lunchbox down and went to grab the fire extinguisher, and came back out with the fire extinguisher. But I didn't hear him say that, so I'll just give you both versions. Anyway, so he says he comes back out of the house, and the garage door is not on fire. Even though he could have sworn it was. It was so vivid that he thought it was on fire. He goes back in. He picks up his lunchbox, and as soon as he picks it up, something yanks it from him and slams it across the room on the wall. The the wall on the other side of the room. Damn. Yeah, this thing was not playing. I think he's mad because he was tearing the lunchbox. <laughs> Debbie said she didn't experience this, but she knew something was up because he came upstairs, threw his keys on the dresser, and just was like wandering all around the room, like frantically, just walking around, walking around, walking around. So she said she knew something. That whatever happened downstairs, she 100% believed it. And of course, it was... You know, seeing the garage on fire and hearing the thing telling him to come here and the wind howling. And Mm -hmm. I'd imagine that would be a pretty frightening experience. The girls, on the other hand, of course, they're sleeping in in their own room with the bunk beds. They're having trouble getting to sleep every night. So Alan decides to start sleeping in their room on the floor. He's going to try to protect them the best that he can. So one night while he's laying on the floor, Alan says there's a fog that appears low level fog like if you was to have a fog machine on how it stays mm-hmm. low he said there was a fog that would appear and then it would turn into a flame look with green eyes oh we need him a fog machine like that <laughs> he said then he heard a voice that said you're dead uh, no way thanks no way he gets up he runs into the kitchen debbie was sitting there she said he was cold his lips were blue but he wouldn't tell her what happened. He was like almost in a state of shock. She said she just sat there. He sat there with tears running, streaming from his eyes, just running down his face. She gets on the phone 
and she calls the pastor and asked him if he could come over. So the pastor gets over there. He said, upon his arrival, Alan was shaken and did not appear to be fabricating his story. He said that he had dealt with people in the past that had similar situations that Alan had just experienced. Mm -hmm. And he felt like Alan was telling him 100% truth because it matched up with some of the stuff he's heard in the past. So a few days later, Alan had to work late again. And he asked one of his relatives if he would come over and keep an eye on the family. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff going on in the house. He's scared. Now, this man, the relative that came over, very skeptical, and he had no problem staying. Because he just didn't believe in any of that stuff. It's time for the, the girls to go to sleep. He goes in and decides to sleep on the floor like Alan was doing, per Alan's request, I'm assuming. A little while after being in there, he screams so loud that everybody runs to the back bedroom. The little boy and Danny mm-hmm. and the mom runs to the back bedroom. And he had seen the same thing. Damn. I don't know if, the, if Alan had told him what had happened or if this was just... It just happened to me, too. But Debbie's like, you know, okay, grab the kids. We're getting out of here. And they left. And two weeks later, they had the bunk bed destroyed at a landfill. So they disassembled, took it to the landfill. They didn't want anybody else ever sleeping in it. Yeah. And they had it destroyed. And they never had any other occurrences after moving out of that house. And they not only moved out of the house, they moved to a different city. Damn. So, there's the deal. And like I said... Well, wait. Did it quit after the bunk beds were destroyed? Yes. Then why didn't they just stay in the house? I don't think they... I just don't think they wanted to take that chance. I mean, there was nothing guaranteeing it was the bunk beds right. at the time. That's very weird. Well, good for them. I would have been out of there a long dang time ago. So, that's the situation. Yeah. Terrible. So that was intense. A tad bit. So we got a little bit of a lighter story, but we're then we're going to end with a, another doozy. So on this story, it's a shorter one. How about a paranormal show called Say Yes to the Haunted Dress? <laughs> would you, you would probably watch that. Since I would watch that. Yeah. A haunted wedding dress to be exact. So I guess uh, that fits in. Our story starts with a very rich man by the name of Elias Baker. Now, Elias bought a furnace company with his cousin, Ronald Diller. This was in the mid-1800s. He earned a fortune into buying his cousin out, and in 1849, he spent $15,000 to have this massive Greek Revival-style mansion built. $15,000 was a ton of money back in the 1840s. So not only was he rich... He was also very controlling of his employees and his family. Now, this really comes into play as his second daughter, Anna, falls in love with a steel worker who worked for Elias. Elias wasn't happy about this at all. His daughter was not going to be with some kind of a lower class, uh, you know, citizen or a person or whatever. At least that was how Elias saw him because, you know, he was rich and his daughter was rich and she had the best of things and that's the way it was going to continue. Mm-hmm. She wasn't going to be married to a common steel worker. He forbid Anna to see this gentleman. Now, Anna was convinced that she would eventually marry him, so convinced that she bought a wedding dress. It wasn't to be, though. Anna was very stubborn and she would not entertain any situation um, where her father would set up a 
date for her or want to introduce her to somebody or she just wouldn't have it. If it was something her father wanted her to be a part of that wasn't this gentleman, she just refused. And uh, she said that if she had to, she would spend her entire life single, if that's what it meant. Wow. Anna was the type she didn't care about money or material things. She just wanted her still worker that she thought to be very handsome and loved her. And that would be all she needed to be happy in life. Her mom was on her side, but she couldn't make Elias see things her way either. Elias was going to see things the way he wanted them, and that was it. Very stubborn. So Anna decided to stay single for her entire life, just like she said. By the time her father passed away, it was too late to find her lover. And I mean, it was years later, and, you know, it was it's just he was gone and had moved on with his life. Her one true love, gone. Anna died in 1914. Now, servants of Anna said that in later times in life that she would actually be seen in her wedding dress just kind of dancing around and they kind of felt maybe this was just a sign of of how sad she was that mm. life didn't turn out the way she wanted that it is to. very sad now anna was never wed in her wedding dress but it was worn at a wedding elizabeth bell who's another high class young lady she mocked anna for never actually wearing the dress at a wedding and she wore it on her wedding day what a biatch. <laughs> she was the daughter of Edward Bell. So the dress is now on display in the in a glass case, I might say, at the Baker Mansion in Anna's old room. Now, the mansion is home to the Blair County Historical Society Museum in Altoona, Pennsylvania. Over time, the dress has gotten a reputation for being haunted. Visitors and workers claim that they've seen the wedding dress move within the glass case. It moves side to side as if dancing. Some say that if you look into the glass, you can kind of see a glare back of Anna staring at you. Ooh. Some say that on the night of a full moon, the dress will kind of uh, shake in the glass, and it will also smack itself on the glass as if it's trying to get out. <laughs> and when I say some say, there's actually video evidence of this, because there is cameras set up in there, and security has seen it moving in there. Oh, my gosh. Staff members claim to have seen Anna herself, her ghost, and Elias's ghost. A woman in a black dress has also been spotted on the third floor. Another ghost scene is of Anna's brother, David Baker. David was killed in a steamboat accident, and his body was stored in one of the rooms there at the mansion until the ground thawed enough to be able to bury him. So now people say that you can hear screams coming from that exact room, and this has been heard by workers and visitors. Wow, David that's is, horrible. David's often seen in the mirrors on the premises. So what if, if he wasn't dead? I'm pretty sure over that period of time he was dead because they probably stopped feeding him. Oh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Another spirit is Hetty, which is Anna's mom. She can be seen walking up and down the, the steps in a heavy black dress. I say steps, I guess stairs is more appropriate mm -hmm. in a mansion. Mm-hmm. There's talk of a music box that plays in the room when no one's around. This is Anna's room where the dress is. The county bought the mansion in early 1941, and they turned it into a museum at that time. Now, what causes the dress to move? Some speculate that maybe it's loose floorboards. It is a very old building. Mm -hmm. So maybe just where it's sitting, it just rocks a little bit, maybe from the wind, maybe from settling. Maybe it's a draft. That's a possibility. 
the old house, though, um, even though it's very old, it's in really good shape. And the museum conducted a study on their own, and they saw the dress move through their hidden cameras. And they say that there is nothing as far as the floorboards or a draft that could cause I don't see how a draft what's happening. Could get it. You said it's enclosed in a glass thing. Correct. I don't see how you could get a draft through that, especially enough draft to make that dress move. Right. So that's kind of the story of the dress. That's cool. Are you ready for the last story? Yes. This is this is a, a cool story all on its own. How much of it is true, I don't know. <laughs> but we'll see. Yeah, you know how that goes. You never know. Well, some of it's definitely true. The beginning parts are definitely true. All right. So this is our last story. And like I said in the beginning, this is probably our most well-known of the three stories. This is the story of the Busby Stoop Chair. Are you scared? No, because it says stoop, and I'm not scared of nothing called stoop. <laughs> All right, late 1600s, North Yorkshire, England, Thomas Busby, he lived with his wife, Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth's father was a gentleman by the name of Daniel Aughty, A-W-E-T-Y. David Aughty was a small-time petty crook who did some coin counterfeiting. So I guess there were as many bills that had coins mm-hmm. back then so that he would find ways to counterfeit them. He moved to a nearby village. Kind of close to his daughter and Thomas Busby. His house was known as Danati Hall. And it was kind of secluded, which worked out well for him since, you know, he was doing all this illegal activity. So it's kind of stuck in the middle of nowhere in the woods. Some people even say that he had uh, built these hidden passageways and chambers and tunnels leading to it and all that. I don't know if he had that much money to be able to do all that stuff, but Mm -hmm. that's what some people say. Thomas Busby actually owned an inn and a, a little bar that was about three miles away. So Busby and Audie did not get along, mainly because Busby was also this drunk and he was a petty crook himself. Yeah. So they were a lot alike. Right. And then they were always getting into it about, you know, his daughter. And I think Audie thought that his daughter deserved better than what Busby could give him or give her and vice versa. And anyway, so they fought all the time, usually about that. They decided to work together in the life of crime and be kind of like illegal uh, partners, we'll say. So what could possibly go wrong with that? You already hate each other. (laughs) You argue all the time, and now you're going to be business partners. So the details of the day that's in question is a little sketchy, but here's what I've got. It's said that Busby and Audie got into some kind of an argument earlier in the day. Most assumed that it, you know, had something to do with Elizabeth, but uh, others think that it might be business related. That was not news because they were always arguing. So what we do know is that later in the day, Busby walked into his little, you know, inn, his little bar to have a drink and there said Audie. Not only did there said Audie, but he was sitting in Thomas Busby's favorite chair. <laughs> Thomas was already drunk, and supposedly Audie's talking something about taking Elizabeth back home with him. That combined with him sitting in, in his favorite chair, and I know that, look, I know that sounds crazy, that he's got a favorite chair, especially when you see this chair. This chair is pretty basic. It's not like this nice recliner, you know, uh, He, but he's, he was like adamant that this was his chair to sit in whenever he was in the bar. And... 
if someone sat in his chair, he would always have them removed. And today was no different. That was the icing on the cake. So he threw Audie out of the location. That night, Thomas was still pissed. He's seething. He picks up a hammer and he goes to Audie's house over at Donati Hall. And he goes in and he bludgeoned him to death. Oh, my Lord. All this is true. There's no no dispute in any of this. this. All this happened. So now he's got to hide the body. And he's like, you know what? This is a pretty secluded place. There's a lot of woods around. I'm going to take the body out there. So he hides the body in the woods. But the townspeople became pretty concerned when Audie suddenly just disappeared. Wouldn't like him to just not be around. In a mm-hmm. small town, everybody knows everybody. So they decided to go out there and do a search. They find the body. And they go to the inn and they arrest Thomas Busby and charge him with murder. In 1702, Busby was tried and he was sentenced to death by hanging. His body was to be dipped in tar and his remains were going to be displayed on a stoop in full view of his inn so everybody at his inn could see it. Oh, that's sick. (laughs) The inn, by the way, was later changed to Busby Stoop Inn and it was that name until it closed in 2012. I don't know if this was 1702. Oh. That place was the Busby Stoop Band for 300 years. That is crazy. <laughs> so, like, a lot of times, they'll give somebody a final meal or something like that. They gave Busby one final wish before execution. His wish was to have one last drink in his favorite chair at the his inn. So they allowed it. As they got him up to take him to the execution site, He turned around and cursed the chair. He said, may death come shortly to anyone who sat in it. This man really did not want people sitting in his chair. The hell, man. And I thought Archie Munker was bad. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he called anybody a meathead, though. (laughs) Some say that Thomas Busby haunted the old pub as well. um, And the area around there where he was hung right after execution now as far as the chair there's legend and rumors that it has taken the life of close to 70 people and we're going to talk about a few of them this is and and at the end i'll tell you where my problem is with the story who was the first person it was a chimney sweep he sat in a chair in 1894 had a friend with him so he sat in a chair a friend didn't He got so drunk that he laid down on the road and went to sleep. The next day, his body was found hanging from a post close to where Busby's body was hung. In 1914, though, so we're looking at what, like 16 years later? Oh, I'm sorry, almost 20 years later. His friend admitted to robbing and murdering him. So he didn't hang himself or just bend up there. His friend killed him and robbed him. Uh, But he did sit in the chair. That's a great friend. Another story goes that during World War II, this place is a really popular spot with the Royal Air Force. So a lot of the airmen would hang out there and they would dare each other to sit in the chair. The ones who did, didn't come home from their missions Aww. during World War II. In 1968, uh, Attorney Earnhouse, who actually had uh, owned the place for a while, 
He said he didn't own the place at this point, but he said he was sitting there and these two airmen were daring each other to sit in a chair. And they both eventually did. They were returning back to the airfield that night. They were in the same car. The car ran off the road, hit a tree. Both died on the way to the hospital. That is so bizarre. The chair claimed a number of, of visitors in the 1970s, including a cleaning lady who tripped and fell and hit her head on the chair. She was then diagnosed with a brain tumor and later died from the brain tumor. Well, I don't think that should count. She hit her head on the chair. She wasn't sitting in it. Maybe the chair, well, that's true, but still. And it was an accident. There was a hitchhiker that had came up and, and uh, he spent a couple of days there at the area in the pub. He later died as he was hit by a car. Several bikers and cyclists who suffered fatal road accidents and uh, a local who had had a heart attack after sitting in the chair. There's a group of builders that came to the pub and they joked with the youngest uh, member of, the, of the, the group to go sit in the chair. He didn't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. They were like, I'll go sit in it. He goes and sits in a chair. The next day he fell through a roof and landed on the concrete below dying after striking his head. So the new owner, Tony Earnshaw, he said that he'd had enough. He put the chair in the cellar. And then a delivery man came in and was unloading a big truck and decided to take a little break, and he sat in a chair. He even told Earnshaw later, man, that chair is one of the most comfortable chairs. It's wasting his time being down here. It should be upstairs in the bar. He was killed shortly after when his van ran off the road. Oh, my land. Even though the chair was a profitable tourist attraction, uh, Earnshaw decided that it was way too dangerous dangerous to keep in his in his pub, mm-hmm. and he also didn't want the pressure of and the guilt of knowing that this thing was, you know, may be responsible. Right, of course. For some of this thing. So he donated it to the Thirst Museum, but it did have one stipulation. He would give them the chair, but they had to hang it on the wall high enough so that no one could ever sit in it. And it is on display today. It hangs about anywhere from five to six feet off the wall, depending on who's doing the measuring, I guess, because I've heard both. And many believe that all these deaths were just a coincidence. But that don't sound like coincidence to me. But I mean, and others believe that others believe that maybe it's not a coincidence, but the people who would sit in the chair were probably risk takers to begin with. Mm hmm. And maybe they just lived that kind of life to where it's not surprising that a lot of them got killed. But that's yeah. not really riding off the road and getting hit and stuff right. like that really doesn't have anything to do with risk taking. No, not But at all. that chair has been there for uh, about 40 years, I think. And there's never been anything happened since it's been there. But they've never allowed anybody to sit in it. And the museum will not allow any employees to touch it. Well, good. Wow, so, that's awful. That's an um, awful story. <laughs> anyways, that's, that's our stories for tonight. Yeah, they were pretty good. Right. Let's take a quick break from our sponsor and we'll get back and tell you some uh, other cool stuff happening with the show. Like we said earlier, we got the live show in Pigeon Forge. That's on the 18th of this month. So we're right at about two weeks away. Come on out. We're going to give away some hot sauce and stuff like that um, from uh, El Yucateco. So thanks thanks to them for giving us some stuff to be able to give away. 
Also, like I said, we only have a handful of tickets left. Go get your tickets. It's going to be fun. Don't worry about the social distancing and stuff like that. We got you covered. Yep. So, um, Tracy, what do you got for us as far as iTunes and stuff? Yeah, that kind of stuff. All right. We have Trish Canella, Jesse D, Space RP, Jackie Wilkins, Mojo Lobster, Motard126, Not Today Satan, (laughs) Chapo Escobar, Todd Hedges, and Ryan of Mon Valley. Thank you guys so much for your reviews. They were amazing. Yes, thank you so much. Keep those reviews coming. Oh, heck yeah. Um, Patreons this week, we have Extreme Knob, Michaela Gaskins, and Motard126. Thank you guys so, 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 so much. We appreciate you supporting us. Thank you guys so much for everything you do for us. We greatly appreciate it. And uh, for those of you that were in the Jaws contest, we actually picked our four winners, and uh, we'll be getting those out to you this week. So be patient with us. We'll get it out. And for those of you that applied, or we got Becky Mm -hmm. that we had put up something. I'll I'll repost that. So I've got five digital downloads for free that we're going to give away to that. So if you haven't seen that yet, I'll repost that. Be be looking at That's an awesome movie that's got... Kevin James, and it's a psychological thriller, but you guys are going to like that. Mm-hmm. Go look up the trailer for it. Just look up Becky. You'll you'll be you you won't even be like be like Kevin James. That's yeah, he's not the King of Queens in this. Yeah, but it's no. really very different for and sure. Speaking of King, don't forget to go go get you some El Yucateco <laughs> hot sauce. And why do I say Kings? Because they are known as the King of Flavor. Go check it out, guys. Thank you. I think you'll love it. God bless America.